Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, lead pastor of Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith so you experience the goodness of God and the greatness of your unique voice in His kingdom. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at overflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional on amazon.com. We're just continuing our message series this morning, Lord Build Your Church. We've been walking through, talking about the church that Jesus wants to build. And I don't know a better way to set it up as I talk about the shepherding grace this morning than to go back to my own story. And I got to tell you that growing up for me, I was a quiet kid, actually. I'm the youngest of four. I have a sister and two stepsisters. I'm the only boy. My sisters are beautiful and amazing people. But growing up as the youngest... And growing up as the only boy, I spent a lot of my childhood just in my own dreams, in my own world, with my own toys. And on top of that, um, I was an introvert. So some of you see me, and you see me talking, and you think, wow, what an extroverted person who loves lights being on him. Not true. Actually, this is the grace of God. I love nothing more than being quiet with a book where people don't see me. I was an introvert as a kid. And actually, I could have spent, as I think back on it, I could have spent the majority of my childhood completely lonely if there weren't a few people at very bold places that took initiative to see me and to bring me to the table and say, hey, there's a place for you here. And I say that they had to bring me to the table because I've got to be quite honest, I couldn't see my way to get there. I never would have forged a trail because quite honestly, I didn't really even believe I belonged there. Can anybody relate with that? I got to the place where I said, I just, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm probably just going to be that quiet, weird kid all of my life. But there were a few that brought me. And listen, that was very helpful for me in my childhood. Because I, I got to tell you, when I was growing up, I was a tiny kid. I did not hit my growth spurt until 10th grade. When I met my wife, Jill, she was actually taller than me. So if you want to know, like literally, um, see if you can find me in the lineup. Um, <laughs> So that is me for some type of award that we're winning. I'm rocking the skids going. Any, any, any uh, kids that were in middle school in the early 90s, you can understand skids. And so I was a tiny kid coming up, and I was a quiet kid, and so I was easy to get lost in the crowd, quite literally. But there were a few people. It started in fifth grade. In fifth grade, there was a guy named Mike Rashner. Now, Mike was a big dude, and he would invite me over to his house for sleepovers. <laughs> And so Mike, listen, we both love WWF wrestling, so this is the way it normally went. Mike was Andre the Giant, and I was, uh, I was the Ultimate Warrior plush toy. So that was normally how that worked when we would go to wrestle together. But Mike brought me out of shyness, and he brought me into a group of friends. When I came into seventh grade, that picture you saw a minute ago, Ben Hamblin, the tallest guy in our class, he was a leader. We were both musicians. And so he'd have me over to his house, and we started a band that was terrible. They were awful. And he talked me into getting in the talent show two times. Once, this was in eighth grade. That's there me rocking out right now. And I just want you to notice the two people behind me, okay? These are two administrators. And, and right now, we're playing music that is changing the world. And you can see just how captivated they are 
by everything that's happening. Vin didn't just talk me into that, though. He talked me into a play because of the difference of our size. He said, you know, we could do something really funny. Let's do an act where I'm a ventriloquist, and you're my marionette doll. And we'll call it Chuck the Wonder Dummy. And so it's a real faraway picture. But you can see I had the whole lines here. And I played a, a dummy that came to life and wanted revenge because he just was angry at the world. It was pre-9-11, so uh, I chased him around the gym with a knife. Um, it was awesome. I'm glad no footage of that survived today, or I might not be in ministry. In ninth grade, there's a boy named Tate Sanborn. Tate was an athlete and a genius. He would go on to score a 1560 on his SATs out of 1600. We teased him and said he must have just misspelled his name. That's the only reason he didn't get a perfect score. But Tate was confident. Tate controlled a room when he walked in. He had integrity. He started on his freshman year in the varsity soccer team, became the captain. He was one of only 15 people from my middle school that ended up coming to my high school. And immediately Tate saw something in me, and he took me under his wing. He became my best friend, my advocate, my cheerleader, my protector. In fact, he often said, after I'd come to the place to have uh, most of the friends that I had in high school, I had because Tate introduced me to them. And when it got to my senior year and I finally had confidence and I'd been in the school play and all the rest of it, he said this to me. He said, hey, the last four years, it's been such a joy walking in a room and watching you make them laugh. But when heads need to roll, that's my job. And Tate just took care of me all the time. It was one of those friends that Tate introduced me to that my senior year of high school encouraged me to go to a youth group. And I showed up at this place where the youth pastor was crazy and over the top and probably needing medication that he didn't get diagnosed for. But ended up, we got a picture here of, yeah, me and that youth pastor. So me and a youth pastor named Pastor Chris Thomas. And Chris began to invest in my life and believe in me, he came around me as a mentor. He went with me when I said I was called into ministry as my living job reference. He actually showed up with me for my interview. And they said, listen, it's you and another candidate, and quite honestly, the other guy's got more experience, but he didn't come with his own living reference, and they gave me the job on the spot. They said, we're so impressed with him. If he believes in you, we're gonna bet on you. And Chris has been betting on me for the last 25 years. I would say that in every sense, he stood as my brother. People who bring us to the table and show us we have a seat there. I got to tell you, I believe that Jesus came so that we would see that the table he built was big enough for all of his kids to have an honored seat. And it's more than that. It's not just that we have a seat at the table. But you know right now there's a seat at Jesus' table that only has your name on it. Because Jesus doesn't make duplicates, he only makes originals. And you move his heart in a way nobody else will quite move his heart. He has a plan for your life. He will never reduplicate. So you have a place at the table. But listen to me. For some of us, for some like me, they desperately need somebody to stop sitting and rearranging their own placemat and get up from the table and go and find them and see in them what they can't yet see in themselves so they can come and say, hey, not only do you have a place at the table, but I'll sit with you here until you fully find who you are and you contribute everything that God has for you to contribute. See, as we've been in this series, we've been talking about this church that Jesus wants to build. We've been talking about these five types of gifts, five types of, of grace that are tangible manifestations of God's love and God's power. We said that they're all in us, 
but that some operate at a much higher level. I want to tell you there was a confidence in Tate and Mike and Ben and Chris that I did not possess. They saw something and they had something that I did not, and now I sit at the table because of what they brought. In the same way, there's a glory you bring. There's a grace you bring. There's some things that you are strong in. You have gifts that I need, and I have gifts that you need, but we all belong at the table in a family that Jesus calls the church. And God's desire for the church is that we would so know who we are, we would so walk together and bring strength to one another that hope would overflow into our streets and into our cities. As we've been walking through this series, we've been looking at Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to recap this to you as we've kind of gotten through now three of the graces. This is the fourth of the graces we're going to talk about this morning. It says this. It says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And as we've been looking at these graces, we started, first of all, we talked several weeks about the blueprint of the church and what it is we're aiming at, and then we started looking at the graces, and we said that apostolic grace matures us in health. We looked at prophetic grace, which roots us in holiness. In our last message, we looked at evangelistic grace that anchors us in hope. Today, shepherding, or what they call pastoral grace, gives us a home. And then in two weeks, we'll share the final message of this series, that teaching grace stirs us with hunger. And so what we've been doing with each of these graces is we've been asking five questions to see how we can be equipped to receive and release these as his church. So I want to dive in with shepherding grace today, and I want to ask this first question. Why do we need shepherding grace, and what are its defining marks? I would tell you that shepherding grace gives you, much like my friends for me, a home where you feel like you belong, and shepherding grace gives you a home where you nurture and protect others into a place of belonging. Shepherding grace gives you a home where you feel like you belong and where you nurture and protect others into a place of belonging. Now these words, shepherding or shepherd, by the way, it's the same word we use for pastor. It becomes confusing. And in fact, we've chosen to use the word shepherd here because we've so used the the word pastor as a title for the church that when you tell somebody they have a pastoral grace, they're like, oh, I'm not a pastor. It's the same word. To pastor or to shepherd is the exact same term shows up 26 times in the New Testament. 18 of them are referring to Jesus, the good shepherd who takes care of his sheep. Four of them talk about actual shepherds who take care of smelly, stinky sheep. And then four of them talk about the need for grace in this hour for the church. But I love the term that Jesus chose to use with this grace, one of five functions, because he chose the word shepherd. And in Greek, the word shepherd, poiamen, it means this. It means one who leads sheep to safe and fertile pasture where they can rest and eat. One who tends their needs. One who binds their wounds. One who protects them from outside threats as members of their flock. And by the way, though I believe the people that lead churches would better be designated as their fivefold offices of apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. If we have to choose one term in America, because some will lament and they're like, we're calling everybody pastors. I'm going to say, that's a pretty good title of anybody who tells you they're called to ministry. I don't care. Listen, I'm a teacher. But if I'm not doing that, 
you don't want to be on any platform that I'm speaking. Because a good shepherd lays down their life for the sheep. Shepherding grace is desperately needed. So the shepherding anointing, it's this. The shepherding anointing is to lead people into the safe space of belonging so that they can be restored from their wounds, protected from attack. That's both outside attack and within the the lies that come in our own minds and within our own walls. And so they can grow to their fullest potential as a valued member of the family. See, shepherding is the field called family that nurtures and protects and belongs to each other. Shepherding is the table where all of us have an honored seat. And I think we often miss this because we read the Bible a lot of times and we read the Bible and we we highlight these promises and maybe you'll share it to your page from your Bible app. And a lot of times we read the Bible as if it was promises written just to me, right? And part of that's true, but did you know the majority of the New Testament was not written to an individual living their best life? It was written to a community of people sharing in life together. In fact, when you read the New Testament, you're going to find there are no less than 65 one another's. We're to forgive one another. We're to bear with one another. We're to grieve with one another. We're to celebrate with one another. We're to love one another. And the shepherding grace, when you look at this picture of of how we're actually supposed to walk together, if the whole Bible can be summed up in loving God with all of our heart and loving our neighbor as ourself, then I will say this is a day where we all need to recognize that we're called to the shepherding anointing because right now, We're surrounded in a city and we're surrounded right in this room. We're surrounded with people hearing my voice. That right now for many of us, the story is you have many social media friends. But very few safe spaces where you feel you can actually drop your guard, be vulnerable, and have people that you believe are going to not only see you, but pursue you and stay with you. So I want to remind all of us, if Jesus Christ is in you, there's a measure of the shepherding grace in you that desperately needs to get out. See, there's three marks of this shepherding grace. The first mark of shepherding grace is this. It's nurturing. A shepherd in prayer and in presence is one who will tenderly and patiently partner with the full restoration God has for each of his kids. What does it mean to shepherd somebody? It means, one, that you're thinking about them all the time and that you're coming in two ways. You're either coming in prayer or you're coming in presence or you're coming in both as often as possible. And what you want more than anything else is to tenderly and patiently partner with God so the full picture of what he has for somebody's life would actually be accomplished. See, we all need somebody like I needed Mike and Ben and Tate And Chris, we need somebody to see us, somebody to pursue us, somebody to pray for us, somebody to stay with us. So Jesus tells us this. We look in the Old Testament charge of Jeremiah 23. It says, I'll place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any of them be missing, declares the Lord. Shepherds nurture. The second mark is this. Shepherds protect Like a mama bear, shepherds fiercely defend and advocate for those they love against any attack from without or from within. Have you ever met somebody that was the nicest person in the world until you messed with one of their people? 
You ever see that? Have you ever seen a mama bear come out all of a sudden when you're like, oh my gosh, they're real sweet and they're real kind, but you cross this line. You talk about their kid, you come in, it's like, whole mama's earrings, something's about to happen, right? (laughs) Have we seen that before? That's the shepherding call. It's the call that says, no, I'm willing to put myself in an uncomfortable place in my love for you. So in Ezekiel 34, God talking, by the way, a lot of the Old Testament prophets, when they are coming against the people of Israel to say, this is the problem, What they're saying is you haven't shepherded the people. That's the regular charge in the Old Testament is that you need to shepherd and see and love and protect. And so once again in Ezekiel, the promise is this. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. And that's the key word for a shepherd. They want to see justice take place for those that are being marginalized and forgotten. Third mark of a shepherd is this. Shepherds nurture, shepherds protect, but listen, shepherds remove aloneness. When you watch someone who is strong in shepherding, you will see they are active to connect with those in their community. They step into their family, their church, their workplace, their neighborhood, and they try to build deep relationships. But listen, they don't just connect with them, they connect them to the greater flock. See, that was the story I told you that changed my life wasn't just that there were four people that saw me. No, those four people brought me into their world. They vouched for me and said, hey, this guy, he, I know he's quiet, but if you keep listening to him, he actually has something to say. And had they not, I want you to understand, two things likely would have happened. One, I would have spent most of my life lonely and alone because I would not have sought it on my own. But two, and listen, this is the story we live in, there would have been something that God had that desperately needed to get out for the world that I never would have discovered because it was seen by those shepherds and those advocates first. See, shepherds remove aloneness from our life. Scripture in Matthew 18 talks about this. It says, a man owns a hundred sheep. If one of them wanders away, would he not leave the 99 on the hills and go and look for the one that wandered off? Listen, the shepherds are always seeing the one that gets forgotten. If he finds it, I tell you, he's happier about that one sheep than the 99 that did not wander. In the same way, your father's not willing that any of these little ones should perish. So that's good, right? Is everybody awake in the room right now? That's good, right? Okay. Shepherding grace, good, right? We're going to vote it in for another four years, yeah? Good? Okay. Here's the question we have to ask. What happens if shepherding grace is missing in any group of people? What happens if it's lacking? And I'm going to tell you, there's only three. There's three C's that I will tell you that take place if shepherding grace is missing. You will become cold, you will become calloused, or you will charge into your own demise. First, you'll become cold. God's church compromises family in the pursuit of function and becomes professional, machine-like, and results-based. And in the pursuit of progress, doing things with excellence, it's people who fall through the cracks. It's the first thing that happens when we lose the voice of the shepherds. The church becomes an enterprise, another machine for empire. The second, we become calloused. We step in and we see this, that some people mesh with the community culture and find a place to belong, while many others struggle to find a place to belong, and it causes cliques, competition, jealousy, and sibling rivalry. And listen, we can go back to the very beginning of the story. This is Cain and Abel. This is Jacob and Esau. This is Isaac and Ishmael. This is Israel and Palestine. It's the older brother and the younger brother 
not knowing that the father is big enough and the table is big enough that all of his kids have an honored seat if they just come and dine with him. When we lose a shepherding culture, whether we mean to or not, we play favorites. And we say to some, those who have this gift, and listen, the way it typically looks is whatever the strengths of the house are. So I'll tell you this, if we walk strong as our church and we do not have a shepherding culture, then you will find that teenagers who come in and have the arts and they get excited because we have a strong arts program, many of them will find their way to belong. But if they don't have an artistic leaning, then they get lost through the cracks. That's what happens. By the way, I want to thank God that we've got Pastor Ruth leading our our fine arts ministry and Pastor Brenda leading our student ministry because i got to tell you right now, that's not happening here. And the pockets where it is happening here or it has happened here, we're watching God step in and start to bring healing. And I'm so grateful for that. Because if there is not shepherding grace, we become calloused. And listen, for some of you, you're hearing me right now. And I praise the Lord that you're here. But if you're honest, you'd say, I'm calloused. Because I know what it's like sometimes to be invited to the table, but I haven't felt invited to the table. Whether it's here, in your family, at your workplace, you say, I haven't felt invited to the table in a long time. And I've started to wonder if I was the problem and I've gotten calloused. The third thing that happens wherever we lack shepherding grace is that we will find ourselves, if we're not careful, we will charge toward deception, offense, and attack. Because of feeling unseen, unvalued, or neglected, sheep begin to wander. And they wander in one of two places. Either they wander into isolation, I'm done with this, I'm done with the community, I'm done with the field, or they wander into clusters of offense where they spend their energy resenting both the shepherds and the field. And without the rest of the flock they were made for, they fail to realize they are headed straight into attack. Where are we headed apart from the flock? We're headed into deception, offense, and attack. I chose those three words on purpose, D-O-A, because when we choose to leave from the flock, we find ourselves dead on arrival. There are 65 one another's. The Bible was written to community, and listen to me, I say this in love, there is no provision or no promise for consumer individualistic Christians who forsake parts of the body that make them uncomfortable or who fail to see them or who hurt them. We're left in the place as believers to say, like the disciples said to Jesus when we're heartbroken, where else would we go? There's no other community that you built for us to have life. So if we're not experiencing life there, then instead of us running off in our own against the way we were designed, instead we're going to run back in and look for anybody who's willing to build something that is faithful and right. We're not going to fault find. We're not going to find clusters of offense to just go talk about people all the time. We're actually going to seek real community and real nurture and real tenderness, a field that we can actually eat. I want to give a side note here for just a minute. Because if you have walked in community for any period of time, and listen, I'm not just going to say this is church. I'm going to say this is middle school and high school friendships. This is your neighborhood. This is your workplace. This is your family and extended family. And Thanksgiving's coming, y'all. So either you'll be excited about spending time with your extended family, or I'm giving you an early word to gear up, okay? If you've walked in community, then you faced hurt. I know that. I don't know how deep that is, but I want to say, if you have faced deep hurt that is unresolved, you desperately, I need to challenge you to examine your community. Because offense 
works like a magnet. And it loves to fill the silent places of pain with conspiracy theories of motive and with emotional violence. To come to the place, I got to tell you, okay, 25 years of ministry, I know there are many places where I've gone, where our pastors have gone, and being talked about in a lot of rooms, I don't feel it here, thank God, but I've been in a lot of places where we get up, we do the very best we know how, we never pretend we're perfect, we're trying to love the best we know how, and there are people that get in little clusters of offense and are saying all kinds of things about, and they're adding motives to things they weren't even in the room. And instead of coming and simply saying, this is broken, and can I help fix it, and is there room for me to run in this field and help play my part, we assume motive, and we jump into rejection, and we get in this community of offense, and then sometimes whole community of, communities of offense break off from the body, and what's really sad is they break off saying, what we're doing is better, and then all they do, you watch them. Listen, I'm going to tell you something right now. Your community is either making you bitter, or it's making you better. So if you've been hurt, okay, let's go ahead, let's go ahead and get everybody off the hook for a minute. Who's ever been hurt by another person? Great. Who's ever felt um, unrecognized or unseen in a crowd? Who's ever felt not invited to the table? Okay, ready? Who's ever felt that in a church? It's almost all the same hands, y'all. Because it's people. So I want to say this. If you're going to walk with people, you're going to be hurt. By the way, if you're not going to walk with people, you're going to be more hurt. Because then you're actually walking against your design. But if you're going to be courageous and walk with people, you're going to get hurt. If you won't resolve that hurt, something's going to happen. I'm going to give you a step in just a minute of what we can do about that. But what happens when we don't have shepherding grace is we start to wander. So I would say I think it's important we figure this one out. Yeah? yeah? Good. Let's go to the second question. Is shepherding grace your primary function? Now listen, people in the room that when we go through, I'm challenging everybody. These are all in us. So which of these graces do you have? All, all of them. Okay. But some of them are really strong. And so for some of you, as I've been talking about shepherding grace, something is burning in you that the other messages you were like, that was all right, Pastor Chuck. That apostolic thing, yeah, that's needed, that's cool. Prophetic grace, yay. Evangelistic, but shepherd, you're like, oh, he's on it today. This is right. He's finally preaching the truth. That might be a good indicator that this is a strong function in your life. So if you're asking... This is what I want to ask everybody to do. I'm asking everybody to go on our website, myoverflowchurch.com, sometime in this series, and take our five-fold gift test. It's a five-minute test, and it just helps you to understand. It's just a resource, but it helps you to understand what may be your primary grace function right now. It's a lens for how you see the world. But I'll give you five other ones real quick, okay? Your passion. If you've been hearing me preach and you're fired up right now, it's a good indicator. Your burden. Your burden is what you believe is broken in the world. It's what breaks your heart. If you look right now and you hear about people, you're like, hey, churches, they lead worship well, they seek God well, they teach well, they've got great programs, they're going into justice, but oh my gosh, my heart is broken for all the people that aren't being seen. My heart is broken for people that aren't being restored. That's a good indicator for you. It could be need. Right now it's burning in your heart and you go, I feel like one of those that hasn't been seen or I see all around me in my friend group, those who haven't been seen. I'm in the room and I see it. And I've told you this many times. If you walk into a room and go, man, somebody needs to step out in shepherding grace. Pretty good indicator it might be you if God showed it to you. The last one is health, okay? So I'm gonna talk about bringing us back to a place for health, and if you're one of those that feels callous today, I'm gonna give you a step that we can take toward health because the, the, the problem is if we don't actually walk to a place of health, it's only gonna get worse for the sheep around us. But I wanna help you understand, maybe this is you. So I'm gonna give eight indicators. I have to say this every week, so I'm gonna say it again, okay? 
because we start to give these and then somebody will come up and they'll be like, I only got six out of those eight indicators you talked about. These are just broad brushstroke, okay? You don't fit a label. You don't fit into a box. You're one of a kind. Jesus has never made another you. So this is just a, hey, this may give you an indicator to start to point you in a direction that this might be you. So how do you know you're strong in shepherding grace? Here's a few. Number one, first indicator you are strong in shepherding grace, you value people first, not the progress they could bring to your team. Number two, you connect to people deeply. You give them your full attention when you're together and you check on them often when you are apart. You know somebody's strong in shepherding grace because when they start to talk to you, they see only you. The room could be burning down behind and they would have no idea. They're not the ones always looking over your shoulder. Have you ever been there? Listen, if somebody does that, don't, don't judge them. But the person who's like, the whole time you're talking, every time, and you feel like they're like, are you just looking for somebody cooler to walk in? Like, do you just keep waiting? Like, okay, cool, somebody else I can go talk to now. Not a shepherd person. They're going to check on you. Number three, you celebrate the people in your life, showing up for their birthdays, promotions, and wins. Shepherds are great celebrators. Number four, you support the people in your life, being an ever-present comfort, listening ear, and practical help in times of disappointments, setbacks, and heartbreaks. You're still there when everyone else has moved on. You want to know you're strong in shepherding grace. You're one of the ones that people call you all the time for a listening ear. I can remember going to my Mima's house, my grandmother, and I would be there and she'd be planning uh, lunch. And then all of a sudden I'd hear the phone ring. And this happened. I would stay with her for the whole summer. This happened almost every day. The phone would ring and I'd be like, all right, Mima's gone for the next 45 minutes to hour and a half. So some of you, when you've ever asked a question and you're not done talking to me for an hour and a half, blame my Mima. Um, I watched it. But I would watch and she would be so present. And then she'd tell me the story, whatever she could, when she got off the phone of, oh, well, this person, they just need somebody to see them. They just need somebody to be there. My Mima was a tremendous shepherd. Number five, you protect the people in your life from drama and offense and accusation, often acting as a buffer between them and the problem through your prayer or through your presence. You're one who's constantly advocating for people. You're helping people see the other side of it so they don't jump to conclusions. You're a peacemaker. Number six, you're a hub that leads the people you love into a place of belonging with other people you love. You are a connector of community. Number seven, you ache over the burdens of others, both longtime friends and people you've just met. You feel people's pain deeply, and you desire to step in and help bear the burden. And number eight, you sit with people and you stay with them. Through the ups and the downs of the journey, you pursue them, and you have many lifelong relationships of depth. And so I want to tell you, as they've been running these tests, these five-fold tests, kind of globally for the last years, um, they say statistically that the largest grace that they've seen within the global church is the shepherding grace. So I'm just curious here in the room, how many of you would say that you feel that shepherding grace is a primary grace in your life? That you say, I, I just feel that's true a lot for me. Would you just lift up your hand? So I see some hands in the room. That's good. Some shepherds don't even want to be seen, right? All right, that's good. That's good. Okay, so as we're walking through this, this is what I need to say to those who just lifted your hand. This is the third question I want to answer this morning. What are the misuses and abuses of shepherding grace? Okay, so as we go through this, I want to remind you, this is a teaching series. So as we go into teaching series, not every message we're going to teach is like this. So it's going to have a lot of content because I want to equip you in this series. So those of you who just raised your hands, especially, it's true for all of us, but if you raised your hand and said, yep, that's me, man, of those eight things you just talked about, that's me. There's four warnings I need to give you so that you'd walk in health. The first warning I need to give for highly shepherding people 
is enablement or over-shepherding. That in love, in the way you love somebody, in the way that you believe in their potential, it's easy for you to take responsibility that isn't yours. You can coddle people, make excuses for them. You can cover their sins to the point of ignoring a dysfunctional mindset or behavior that actually keeps them bound. You can be so compassion-focused that you miss the heart of correction. I can remember growing up that I had a friend, and I got so jealous of this friend because his mom bought him every new gadget that came out. I mean everything. And this was the rise of video games after. So again, I'll just go ahead and turn myself in. The first video game I ever owned was the Atari. Any Atari owners out there just need to know, right? Glad we're still kicking and ticking. That's awesome. And then the second thing I owned was the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System. Yeah, any NES, Super Mario, Duck Hunt, right? Anybody cheat when you play Duck Hunt? Put the gun all the way up to the TV. Anybody put the gun up to the TV? All right, it was just me. It's this confession. This is how it's working. And then after that, they came out with a Super Nintendo. I didn't get a Super Nintendo, but my friend down the street did. Then they came out with the Turbo Graphics. That didn't even last long at all. My friend got it. They came out with one with a huge disc. I don't even know what it was called. A Sony Dreamcast or something. I don't know what it was called. He got that one. Everything that came out, he got. And I found that everywhere he went, his mom was just always shower, 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 shower. But, but sometimes, because we're kids and we need to be directed, I never heard any of that ever come. And there were other factors that were taking place in the midst of all this. But I got to tell you, as soon as this kid turned 18, he left home. And he and his mom have not spoken maybe two sentences since then. Because behind the scenes, it wasn't just a lot of gifts. It was, it was a lot there that was missing because God disciplines those he loves. See, one of the things I would say for us with the, the tolerance movement as a whole is one of the reasons I believe the tolerance movement is missing the mark is, first of all, tolerance falls far short of love. Second, tolerance, though it has a really nice poster, is mostly about self-preservation. It's, I want people to like me. I'll say what's politically correct so you like me. And we don't do that with anybody we actually love. Tolerance lacks the conviction and the courage that you give to one you truly love. Warren Wearsby said it this way. He said, truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. See, hypocrisy is when you don't share the conviction that you believe is needed so that you would appear loving. So I want to say this. If you're one of those that raised your hand and said, I'm strong in shepherding, I've got to warn you here. Because sometimes you love so much and you want so much of a healthy relationship and you want to be so much a safe person for someone else. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves coddling when there needs to be correction or redirection. And we can find ourselves creating dysfunctional communities where there's an elephant in the middle of the room that everybody else can see that you refuse to address. That's needed for somebody's maturity. And when that happens, we all lose. First warning I would give us is for enablement or over-shepherding. The second warning is this. If you have a high shepherding grace or any community that has one, the second warning is an inward focus. We jump all the way to the other side of the spectrum. In this place, you build super safe communities with high values. You want people to be safe so you don't put up with dysfunction. You get things healthy. You get them together. You get them right. But you have such high values. What is safe becomes sanitized. And you stop making safe spaces for broken people. And safe becomes the enemy of saving. 
You set the bar so high, it's too steep and unclimbable for broken people to belong or ever feel like they can get there. They walk in and they feel they can never keep all the rooms. And if, if you're not careful on this side, you find yourself slowly becoming Pharisees, insulating your families and your kids and your churches from the world, socially distancing yourself from the very people we've been called to rescue. When that happens, our community becomes a commune. So if you're a shepherd, I want to tell you, shepherds who raised your hand, shepherds need evangelists. Shepherds need people to say, no, we're going to make it a safe place, but I'm going to keep bringing in messy people, and then we'll make it a safe space again, and then I'm going to bring in more messy people, and then we're going to make it a safe space again. Third warning I would give us for shepherds. By the way, these warnings, who are these warnings for? Good. Thank you, Courtney. Good answer. Good answer. So I'm just making sure. I'm just making sure because sometimes we finish these and, and people will come and they're well-meaning, but they're like, I found out I'm a shepherd. I'm a this or I'm not a this. I'm not a shepherd. But Jesus is in you. Yes, you are. Um, so these are for all of us. Number three, it's a lack of personal boundaries needed for your health. This is probably the biggest warning I would give you if you have a high shepherd in grace because it means you're highly compassionate and you see people with the heart and the love that Jesus has for them. But here's the deal. You're not careful and you become everyone's counselor, everyone's listening ear. You stay up late, you get up early, you neglect your own health, you neglect your spiritual life, you neglect your family, you neglect the joy of being alive for becoming a 24-7 counseling center to the masses. And if we're not careful behind all of that is a silent savior or martyr complex. I'm here because they they need me. And I just want to remind us, I say this in love, no, they don't. They need Jesus. And Jesus invited you to a seat at the table to play a very specific step in the role of their restoration. Just a step. If we're a symphony, you have one instrument and sometimes one note. We've got to find our part. When you try to become the entire restoration, the entire salvation, the two things happen. You're going to burn out, and they're going to miss what they actually needed from the body. We so desperately need discernment from the Holy Spirit about our part. Otherwise, I want to say this, there are many shepherds right now that your yes has become your I can't anymore. Hear me, I'm going to say that again. If we do not have discernment for where Jesus calls us to say yes, then what will happen is your yes to everyone becomes your, I can't anymore. I just can't. And meanwhile, you'll find that there are tons of rooms that you've missed that Jesus invited you in because, and I say this in love, and I say this because I bought a lot of these t-shirts, ask the old college group that I used to lead, because you weren't willing to choose health. And so you put yourself as the Savior. So I'll say this, shepherds need apostolic people to help you build healthy boundaries. The fourth warning I want to give to shepherds is this. It's compassion fatigue, cynicism, and burnout. So if we're going to talk about shepherding for just a minute, I'm going to talk in the room to parents or leaders with any level of authority. Anybody who's ever led anybody in your life, you're going to understand that sometimes leading sheep is like this. Look at this video real quick. In just a second, here it comes. Look at this video right there. And yeah, right back. It's good enough, I just got to see it one more time. So you're here, 
you're trying, you're like, I'm going to help you. I'm spending long hours counseling you. They're like, oh, thank you so much. I love you. And yeah, right back into it. Come on. Can anybody relate with that? Can anybody relate? <laughs> there were some really hearty amens. Um, I want to remind us of the obvious. Loving and leading people is hard because sheep are prone to wander and sometimes sheep bite. And if you're going to choose to step into the dock and love people who are in brokenness, this is what you need to be prepared for. Rarely ever will you see it reciprocated. Often, you'll experience the heartbreak of watching them stray again. And sometimes you will be painted as the villain of the story when the only reason you ever wrote yourself in was to try to be a help. If you're going to love people, you're going to get your heart broken. And so I need to say this to you if you have a strong shepherding grace. If you do not stay first Jesus' kid, alive in wonder and childlike faith, if you don't get your approval and your worth and your joy and keep getting it from him and no one else, then you will find yourself in a process of getting bitten by the sheep that is a spiral. And this is the part that I wanted to say, if you, if you feel like you're jaded, I need you to listen. This is probably one of the most practical, the next three minutes is one of the most practical things I'm going to teach in this entire series. If you're at the place where you feel jaded because you've loved, there's a spiral of compassion, fatigue, and betrayal. And this is the way it looks, and this is typically the way it goes. It starts, and this, this continues unless there's restoration. It starts with trauma. The trauma is this. You stepped out, and you loved, and you believed in loving it was going to work. It was going to come together. It was going to change. Their marriage would be saved. They'd thank you. They'd ride off into the sunset. Man, you'd see it all. And it didn't work out that way. And so there's a trauma there. What do I mean? There's a shock. There's a betrayal. There's a deep hurt. There's a disappointment. There's a heartbreak. Something rattles in the midst of how you chose to love. If you don't stop there and get restoration, here's where it goes next. Without you even thinking about it, your next step is retreat. It almost happens instantaneously. You become guarded from putting yourself out there again. You might not even say it to anybody, but suddenly you become timid. You've been burned, and now you don't want to put your hand near that stove once again. And if you don't get restoration, here's where it goes next. As you continue to sit in that retreat, suddenly you reflect and you think about everything they said that they shouldn't have said. And every way they treated you, that, well, that wasn't right. And then you start thinking about not only that person, but your group around you. And why didn't anybody else advocate for me? And why didn't anybody else warn me? And maybe you see somebody else. And then all of a sudden you think about God. And you're like, wait a second. This God that calls me out to serve him? This God that I heard altar calls and I went, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. This Jesus that wants it more is going to let me get burned like that when I reach out. And suddenly you're angry. You're angry at God. You're angry at people. If it doesn't get healed, the only result you can get is a callus. You grow cold and you grow numb. Now, I want you to know that sadly, there are many people right now in the fourth stage of this spiral, many Christians. Typically, when you see Christians leave and say things like this, I love Jesus, but I am done with the organized church, I'm going to promise you something happened and that's where they are. Which, by the way, you coming in as super Christian, trying to preach to them just how much they need to be in church, you're not helping. It would help much more to slow down like Tate and Mike and Ben 
and see them where they are and sit for as long as it takes and say, hey, there's still a seat for you at the table. For many people, the story ends there, but for some, depending on personality and depending on the severity of their hurt, it can go to a fifth and most dangerous stage, and it's the stage I'd call counterattack. You come to the place that you've been so burned, you've gone through the anger, you've gone through the hurt, you were numb, but now you're not numb anymore. Something starts burning red hot, and it's this. You don't want anybody to ever experience that again. And so you stage counterattack. You become an outspoken opponent against anything reminiscent of your pain. And what's sad about that is counterattack, when it is true reformation and true healing, it can be a beautiful thing. But when you're acting out of your own rejection, when you're acting out of your own pain, then suddenly you just start shooting randomly at everybody and everything. And instead of being a peacemaker, you become destructive in the name of the Jesus who came to save you. So I want to say this in love to us. Listen, those of you who raised your hand and said, I have a shepherd in grace, pastors of our church, let me say this. You are not first a shepherd, but a sheep of the chief shepherd who will never leave you or forsake you. You are not first a counselor or a comforter, but you are chosen and adored by the comforter. And you will never be defined in heaven by what your opponents say about you on earth. Somebody else needs to hear that today. You will never be defined in heaven by what your opponents say about you on the earth, but you have to choose today who you will listen to and who you will respond to. You have to choose to be restored from deep wounds. And in just a minute, we're going to do that. Because otherwise, this is what happens. You ready? It's that unhealthy shepherds find themselves fleecing unsuspecting sheep. And the cycle continues over and over and over again. You will become like the very thing you wanted to escape. Well, that was happy. (laughs) But there's hope, isn't there? We don't have to stay there. Come on, has anybody ever been healed from cynicism in the room? Nancy's been healed from cynicism. Has anybody else in the room been healed from cynicism? Anybody been at the place where your Jesus becomes bigger than your pain? So I want to tell you, for some this morning, in just a moment, there's going to be an opportunity to step into that. For some of you, there's going to be a place to step into and say, you know what, now I know who I am in the body, and gosh, we're going to celebrate the heck out of it because we desperately need you to walk with confidence because there are many, many, many people. Look at every empty seat around you just in this room. You understand just from the people to be called to our building, there are many people right now that are not filling those seats because they've been hurt and burned and they desperately need people with shepherding grace to step back out and know who they are. So what are we going to do about it? How do we equip it at overflow? Oh my goodness, we turned the corner. We're at the happy part of the message. Here we go. So I've shared our fivefold leadership, our fivefold shepherds so that you can see them, our Pastor Chris, Pastor Brenda, and Pastor Josh. And so, by the way, do you receive those three? Pastor Chris, Pastor Brenda, Pastor Josh, yeah? I could tell you many, many, many years, those are people who have invited me to their table, and it is a beautiful thing. I want to talk about how we actually do this as a church. So one would be we have some support ministries as a church so that you would be seen. We have some specialized ministries. We have support ministries of Overflow Kids, which James and Abby and Anissa do an amazing job leading, making a space for our kids. Overflow Student Ministries, Pastor Brenda leads. We've got our fine arts ministry. We've got our our women's ministry. Rise, we just celebrated men's ministry. Pastor Mickey's the overseer. And we're actually looking to kick off into a full-blown men's ministry in 2024. So we're looking for that. It's going to be good. Um, We have our deacons and our deaconesses. 
And our deacons and deaconesses of the church, you may not know them because you're just always going to watch them serving. But what they actually do, we meet regularly, and they are ones to make sure that every need is being shepherded and people are being cared for in our church. But there's this other problem that we found. And the problem that we found was this. Um, People who've come to our church for years say the same thing. They say, you know what, it's the friendliest church in the world, and it's a safe place, and it's inspiring, and I really believe it's sincere and safe. But it could be the hardest thing in the world to get in. Have you ever felt that? Or you're like, I don't know the next step to take. I don't know how to join. I don't know how to be there. And then they look, and I'm like, yeah, well, what has our strategy been? I go, you need to be in a missional community. That's our strategy. Join a missional community. And if you need to find a missional community, talk to Chris. And you're like, who the heck is Chris? <laughs> and so for a long time, what we've looked at as a church is that right now I'm going to tell you there are a lot of people who've come in that I believe belong with us, but we've just got to be clear on our strategy about how to plug them in. And so here at the end of the year, going into the beginning of next year, all of our pastors have been working on a strategy to come together to say, how do we receive people from the very first time they show up and see them so that nobody falls through the cracks? So that what's actually happening here, hey, have you found Overflow Church to be a safe and a beautiful place? Yeah? Have you found life here? Okay, three people have found life here. Have you found Overflow Church to be a safe and a beautiful place? Is there something real about Jesus here? Is there something that we believe people in our city need? So here's the deal. There's just some places out front that the Lord has been showing us that we need to create space and walk a little more clearly. And so I want to let you know we're going to be doing that. If you've been one of those coming and you've been hearing from me, just join a missional community. You're like, oh my gosh, this is like, give me some more support. It's coming. And I'd ask you to just stay with us and I'd ask you to forgive us for every place we've missed it. But ultimately... If you want to know how you walk in shepherding grace here at our church, you've got to belong to a smaller family called a missional community. And so where I'm going to close this right now, every one of these graces, we've been sharing a five-minute fivefold. And so I want you to see this video as Pastor Chris and Pastor Brenda, oh my goodness, share what shepherding grace looks like in a missional community. Take a look. Um, but walk alongside them in those things. Don't be afraid 
um, to lean into and to talk through those things. So you're gonna celebrate the victories, you're gonna support each other in the struggles. If there's, um, people wanna know that you're thinking about them when they're not in front of you. And so if you only meet once a week right now, make an effort to reach out another time during the week. If right now that's not on your radar much, maybe put an alarm on your phone that says, I don't know, Tuesday at 4.30, I'm gonna pray for and reach out to somebody in my missional community. I um, mean, you already know what they're celebrating, you already know what's hard, and so you can connect those two things that make somebody know that they're thought of and that they're cared for. Um, so that would be one of those things that goes from surface level, we're in the same group, to a deeper level of friendship where we're gonna trust one another and move along that pathway of trust into um, a deeper relationship. So we have family, we have friendship, and we have food. Of course, you don't have to eat food to connect, but it helps, doesn't it? If there's any food that's there and people are moving around, it's just a better environment for good conversation. And so we encourage you to, to have food and refreshments at your group if you don't, don't do that right now. And also to plan a special meal, a brunch or a dinner, um, just a nice dinner to sit around the table and talk. There's some, some a great dynamic there in a group. Jesus did it. If Jesus did it, huh? WWJD, Brenda. So you got family, you got friendship, you got food, and fun. Yeah. The great thing about fun is fun. It's different for everyone. Not everybody thinks the same things are fun. Uh, so as we get to know one another in our missional community, we can it can look just a little bit like everybody in the group. It doesn't have to look just like my type of fun. One of the things that came to mind is that when we play together, something shifts. Fun over time equals connection. And so creating time, making time, carving out time, because it doesn't naturally come um, to play together. The gospel moves through those rhythms as well. So finding yep. something that you think is fun, it doesn't, you don't have to have theological answers to be friends with somebody, to have fun with them. Um, to laugh, to cut up. This includes the food and the family atmosphere. So they all kind of tie in together, but making space for extra time for fun. We and our group recently had a pumpkin painting day. Uh, we invited the neighbors of where our missional community meets and we said, come meet new people, have some treats, paint some pumpkins. We had a great turnout and it was just fun. And we watched people connect. Um, to people that they had never met before, some that they knew that we were meeting for the first time, and it was so fun. And sometimes we just need uh, to move within the confines of fun. These yeah. are the fundamentals. Uh, so, as a shepherd in your missional community, you can foster family, friendship, food, and fun. And that just adds to the shepherding environment. Pastor Brenda and I are here for you as resources, so please reach out to us if you need some help in the shepherding department in your MC. And that is Five Minute Fivefold Man. Oh yeah. Five Minute Fivefold, yeah! Awesome, I wanna ask if you go ahead and stand with me. So I wanna take just a moment. We've been talking a lot today about a need that is desperately needed around us. Would you just close your eyes with me just a moment? We've been hearing it. And now's the time for us to respond. And I believe there are two different calls today. I believe for some, you're at a place where you actually need to receive shepherding grace this morning. That you're at the place 
where you need to know that you have a seat at the table. You're at a place right now that you need to know that you are seen, that you are loved, that you're desired. For some, you're at the place where you feel cynical and you feel jaded. And here's where I want to make our altar call this morning. If you're at the place where you put yourself out there, you've loved, you've sought, maybe you put yourself out there just to belong, or maybe you put yourself out there trying to walk before as a shepherd, trying to walk to love others, and you saw that whole cycle of wrestling with trauma and pain and anger toward God and wanting to retreat, and this morning you're saying, okay, I want to step out and get some healing here because I feel like something is wanting to grow numb and cold within me and I don't want it to happen. I don't want to retreat. I don't want to back away. If that's you, I'm just going to ask every other eye closed. But if that's you, we've got ministers up front right now ready to receive you. And I'm going to give one more charge in just a minute, but I'm going to ask you to come quickly. If you've been burned and you've been hurt, if you've been at the place where you've walked in, whether it's church or another community, and you just have not felt seen or received, if something within you feels it's crying out to be seen, to be known, to be pursued, to be loved, listen, it might not have anything to do with this church. It might be within your home growing up. It might just be a quiet, restless feeling. But you can relate with what I'm saying at the beginning of the quiet kid. You say, I'm hurting and I need to be shepherded. I'm going to ask you to step out and just come to one of these prayer ministers. Would you just let them begin to pray for you? Would you let them begin to join you in a place of just seeking healing? Would you let them just wrap an arm around you and see you? Would you allow us to stand in a place to say, I am so sorry for every place you've not been seen or celebrated or supported or pursued or followed or asked about. I'm so sorry. Would you hear me as a pastor of the global church? I'm so sorry for where we've missed it. I'm so sorry for where we didn't see you. Maybe you're here in this church and there are places that you say, this is my family, but I feel unseen and I feel unsupported. And even right now you're hearing me and you're like, you don't see it. Hear me, I'm so sorry and I'm on my knees asking the Lord to open our eyes. I want to remind each of us that the true value and worth that we need can only ever come from him but we commit to be a body together to grow better and not bitter. We don't believe we've arrived anywhere, but we are asking right now, if you're hurting, if your heart feels numb, you might even be at the place, I sense there might be somebody in the room that's at the place that you're like, I don't even want to come up to somebody because I don't even have it in me to open up. Listen, here's the deal. You might just need somebody to say, can you pray for me? And that's all you're going to say. Would you just pray for me? Would you just stand here with me? I don't even want to open up. If that's you, would you not let that deter you? 
Would you let your, your stepping out be that stance to say, I won't let my love grow cold. I won't shut it away forever. Jesus, I'll let you begin to heal me. I want to stay here just a minute. I'm going to ask everybody else in the room, would you begin just to pray? Would you allow the Lord, either somebody here in this room, or maybe right now the Lord's bringing somebody to your mind. Would you just ask the Holy Spirit, who do I know that that's their story? And can we all just be active here in the next two minutes? I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to put somebody on your mind. Who do I know that feels rejected and unseen and unshepherded and uncelebrated? Would you just begin to pray for them? Would you ask the Lord what your role might be to them? If the Lord doesn't bring somebody to your mind, would you allow him to just put one of these faces up here at the altar on your mind? And would you begin, whether you know them or not, just to begin to pray? Say, Jesus, meet him there. Meet him there. I want to say to every person in the room, what I would love to say to Mike and Ben and Tate and Chris, there's something that is in you that we desperately need to come out. There's a seat for you at the table. There's a beauty of who God made you to be. And we don't want to see your voice silenced or discouraged or held back. We're going to stay here just a moment. Father, would you make us good shepherds? Father, would you go after every wandering sheep? down your healing. So in this place, I want to give just one more charge. If you're being ministered to, you just keep being ministered to. But there's some I'm going to ask to join them at the altar. 
And that's a, right now, if you're one of those that you believe God is saying, there's a greater measure of this, this shepherding grace, that here within our church, and that within your life, you feel like it is time to step out. I'm gonna ask you to step forward as we just quickly want, it's not gonna be the same as a ministry call. We just wanna anoint you and come into agreement and pray for the Lord to just do it in you. We desperately need shepherds to step out. And I believe there is something that is foundational and powerful about you actually moving. You could sit in your seat and nod and go, yeah, I'm gonna do that. But something changes when you change your location. Something changes when you step out and say, okay, here it is. So I'm going to say, as you stepping out and saying, I want to spend my life bringing people to the table. If that's you, if that's you, would you step out right now and come up to the altar? Would you step out? Because we just want to pray a blessing over you. If you say everything that you've said, it's burning in me today. I want to step out that way. I want to be that kind of shepherd. I want to see that environment built in our church. Would you step out? And I'm just going to ask, you can just come line up the front here. All I'm going to ask for our ministers to do is just to anoint you, just to bless you, just to ask the Lord to move upon you. May you walk with greater courage than you could imagine. Jesus, I thank you for the shepherds. And you ministers who see any around you, just go ahead and lay a hand. Don't, don't hesitate. Missional community leaders, you see any up here? It's very simple. You're just laying a hand on them and asking the Lord to fill them with whatever is needed. We call right now for confidence and for boldness. I celebrate because, Lord, we desperately need shepherds who would care for the flock. I thank you for bold voices that say, I don't want anybody left out. I don't want people to wander. I'm going to see them. Father, would you give confidence right now? I'm asking for each person that's come forward, would you protect them from rejection? Would you protect them from the pain that comes of feeling misunderstood? Because if you're going to shepherd, you're going to be misunderstood. If you're going to shepherd, you're going to be hurt. So I'm asking right now, Father, would you just come to each of these, each of these, Father, who feel a call to shepherd? Father, would you meet them here? I'm asking that you fill them with boldness. Fill them with passion. Make their spiritual spines straight and strong. That they would stand, Father. Release the voice of their identity, Father. With boldness and passion and grace. Show them that you've always seen them, that you have them, that you hold them. Thank God for good shepherds. We thank God for good shepherds. Father, would you restore Restore everything the locusts have eaten. Categorically, we stand against every lie of the enemy, every lying voice, every accusing voice. Father, we stand against it in the name of Jesus.
say something to the shepherds in the room, those with a high shepherding grace. The enemy tries to lie and say that there's something that's just not that magnificent about your gift or it's not shiny because a lot of times as shepherds, what you're doing, you're doing behind the scenes. It's not glamorous. It's not applauded. And you hear lots of problems. But I just want to say, thank God for you, shepherds. He knows how he made you. He celebrates you. You are the glue that holds the family together. I pray increased boldness. I pray healing. May his grace rest upon you. May his healing pour deeply to you. might be one this morning that even we're going to dismiss our service in just a second here. But you may be one that you need to receive more ministry or you need to just stay here at the altar and we're just going to stay. We're just going to be here with you. So I want to stay in this moment of ministry. I want to make sure that the things that are coming up this afternoon because we have some right here in the, in the building. So if you're being ministered to or prayed for, stay right where you are. Nathan will keep playing. We're just going to keep ministering.